from LPL Financial. Welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. I'm Ryan Dietrich, and up on the phone up in Boston is Jeff Bookbinder. Jeff, do you have a winter coat on, I heard? Oh, I, I needed it today. That's for sure. Uh, typical Boston weather. It was 75 degrees last weekend, and uh, this morning, 16. Oh, my. My commute in. Wow. Yeah, we jinxed it. On the last podcast, we talked about how nice it was, and now it's uh, 16 degrees. Wow. Um, that's, I mean, I don't know, Boston weather. That seems like a pretty extreme swing, right? <laughs> it, it is, but not too uh, out of character here. Okay. Uh, get uh, get an office ready for me down there, because... Uh, Hey, the relocating to Fort Mill is getting a lot more tempting. I'll tell you, it's um. Given I'm from Ohio, as some people know, if you don't, then welcome to the show and thank you for listening. But I, I am an Ohio guy, a Bengals fan. We talked about Joe Burrow a lot, but just the fact, yeah, it's 41 degrees here as we speak. I just looked at my phone, and what's interesting is when it gets cold, my throat gets scratchier. So if I if I'm quiet, Jeff, for a minute or two, it probably means I'm off coughing somewhere and just chugging water. It's like it gets cold. I've I've become kind of a wimp, I guess, is what I'm trying to say to the cold. Now that I've lived out here for going on four years, but um, yeah, I'm here to be your filler. If there's yeah, any dead air. exactly. And as we said, as Jeff and I were just talking before, I'm up uh, traveling. You know, it's 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 the early the beginning of the year, right? So a lot of our advisors want us to come to events for outlooks, and I love doing that. It's a blast. But in two weeks, I get to go up to New York and even see Jeff and some of the people in the office in two Thursdays, and. I'm crossing my fingers. It's not too cold, Jeff. If it's too cold, I'm just canceling. You have to do the event for me. How's that sound? No, no promises, but uh, <laughs> we'll see what we can do for you. There we go. All right, so let's let's get to this week's um, LPL Market Signals podcast. And just a little note: we are recording this on Friday. Obviously, by the time most of you listen to it, it'll either be Monday evening or Tuesday with the three-day weekend. I do the Martin Luther King holiday. We're going to record it on Friday. So there's our little disclaimer. So when we make our football picks later, you'll you'll know. We, we don't know yet. We're not cheating, but we'll make some picks here. Um, so, Jeff, this week on the weekly market commentary, I'm sorry, weekly market, we're going to talk about our weekly market commentary on this week's um, LPL Market Signals podcast, which focused on earnings. You're the earnings expert. going to pick your brain on what you see in fourth quarter and in 2020. And then kind of what we'll call an economic roundup. Had some good news on trade and some solid overall economic data, which is all probably intertwined here. We'll discuss that. And we're going to end it with one of the more popular questions I think we've received to LPO Research, I'll call it over the past two weeks. It's an election year. What does that mean for my stock specifically? And we broke some of those numbers down. Those are three things we'll take a look at. So, Jeff, it's earnings season. It is fourth quarter earnings kicked off so far, so good, I think. I mean, hey, market's making all-time highs literally as we speak, so market's taking it in stride. But it's really, I think, all about the future. And how did you title the weekly commentary? I've got it in front of me here. You titled it, Earnings Are All About 2020. So there we go. That's kind of it. Jeff, what did you find when you did this week's weekly market commentary? Well, Ryan, the first thing I found is we are not going to get any earnings growth at all in 2019. Okay. And so the first question people might ask is, well, how could stocks be up last year, you know, 30 or so percent when earnings didn't grow? Well, the answer is because valuations expanded, mm-hmm. right? Stocks got more expensive relative to earnings, and you know investors were looking forward to better things ahead. I mean, the market's always forward-looking, but I think it was particularly evident last year. <clears throat> so now valuations are high. We really need earnings growth to come through uh, this year in order to push. Uh, stocks higher. So I think that's the the main focus for us and the markets, frankly, in, in Q4. You always want to focus on what companies say about the future, 
but it's especially important this time. Also consider that uh, a lot of companies are going to be commenting on 2020 for the first time when they report results and do their conference calls over the next uh, several weeks. So uh, I think the, the key here is, is um, do expectations for an acceleration in earnings growth you know, get support from what we hear from companies over the next few weeks. Uh, interesting there. You know, the other, I'll maybe push back a little bit. Last year, like you said, stocks are up over 30%. Earnings are flat. But if you take a look back at 2018, we had almost the exact opposite, did we not? We had 23% year-over-year earnings growth in 2018, yet the S&P dropped 6%. So it's almost like if you squish those two years together, it kind of makes a little more sense they're there. And, Jeff, we weren't going to get into this, maybe, since I'm thinking about it. And I know I'm going to dive more into earnings. P.E. multiples, I'm seeing forward P.E. multiples up at 18.5, the highest of this cycle. Is that something we should start worrying about, you think? It suggests that uh, a lot of good news is priced in. Right. But as we've been saying, with inflation low and interest rates low, you can support higher valuations. Uh, also, keep in mind, valuations are not good short-term timing tools. So, you know, might suggest more moderate returns over the long term, but frankly, um, PEs above average don't really tell you too much about the next uh, 6 to 12 months. So, you know, maybe we're a little worried because uh, we are at the highs of this cycle in terms of uh, PEs, but frankly, um, that's not enough to get us to sell stocks here. Yeah, you know, I remember the CAPE rate, well, the CAPE ratio is a very popular one. Um, Dr. Schiller at Yale has that cyclically adjusted PE uh, ratio, looks at over 10 years. I remember hearing about that back in 2014, you know, and how it's high and how it's potentially bearish. And, and again, maybe it'll eventually be right. Uh, but clearly, you know, stocks have virtually almost doubled on a total return basis since then. So that's just um, something to be aware of. But, Jeff, let's get back on task here. Earnings season. So high level, flat, expected to expand next year. But where do you see the growth? When you look under the surface, which sectors do you think are the ones that either are going to outperform or maybe even miss and, and, and be a concern? What's going to happen under the surface there? Yeah, I think financials and healthcare are probably two sectors people want to think about where there's more growth. We've got an off to a good start in terms of financial company results this week. Um, you're expecting, um, based on consensus, about 6.5% earnings growth in financials for the quarter, so that's quite a bit better than the slight decline that consensus estimates reflect right now. Remember that companies almost always report a few percentage points of upside relative to expectations. So that's why we think you know we'll get maybe a point or two of overall earnings growth. Okay. And financials could potentially make a run at double-digit earnings growth in Q4. You know, remember the yield curve has deepened, and that has provided a little bit better earnings environment for financials. And then we had you know, pretty calm credit markets. We had rising equity markets. That pretty good formula uh, for financials. And then healthcare is, you know, you just have a lot of visibility into healthcare profits. So, you know, last year, actually, healthcare grew earnings fastest of any sector last year. It doesn't get talked about a lot. Everybody just talks about policy risk right. and the election. But you know, earnings growth for healthcare has been been really solid here for quite some time, and there's no reason to think that'll uh, stop this quarter. So we could see high single-digit earnings growth for healthcare. And then the last one I want to mention is tech. Not because tech's going to have a strong growth rate. It probably won't. You'll probably see something low single digits. But I think tech has the potential to produce the biggest upside surprise of all the sectors. And the reason is, there's several reasons, but the main reason I'd say that is because the guidance that we've received from tech companies over the last several months 
has been more positive than negative, which is very unusual. Right? Typically, when you get guidance, you know, pre-announcements, when you get guidance from companies, it's more likely to be negative. If it's positive, a lot of them just keep quiet. Uh, and tech's actually seen more positive uh, pre-announcements, more positive guidance than negative guidance over the last several months, which is really, um, well, really impressive. So I think we're going to see some good news here from, uh, from tech. Yeah, that is interesting. And, you know, when I hear tech, you know, one of the questions that, that I get when I'm talking to people is what are what are your, one of your worries, you know, for 2020? I mean, we've been bullish for a while, and, you know, we still think this bull market has time. I guess, Jeff, the one thing that gets me is tech was up 50% last year. I mean, 50%. My take is that's a pretty good move, obviously. You know, when you consider the fact of 50%, it's almost like tech better have good things to say, in my opinion. They better beat the estimates because – it feels like a lot of that stuff's priced in, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, tech mm-hmm. is trading at about a 20% premium to the S&P 500 now. Okay, okay. So uh, and that's as high as it's been since the financial crisis. So you're right. Um, if, if tech doesn't deliver, uh, markets are going to be very disappointed. We, we think it will, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, certainly uh, there's a lot of good news priced in there. Yeah, no, good points there. So so that's good. So definitely if you guys want more information on fourth quarter earnings and how we see things perking up a little bit on the earnings front for 2020, please read our recent weekly market commentary. So Jeff, let's go to the next thing that we wanted to discuss, which I guess I called it economic roundup. But bottom line is, we're going to call it last week by the time people hear this even though we are recording on friday this week but last week we had phase one of the china deal signed sealed and delivered we had nafta 2.0 which is pretty much working its way to president uh, trump's desk to sign so two positives on trade um, some leading indicators globally are improving and then retail sales were pretty good so Let's focus on the trade aspect first. So U.S.-China trade, China said they're going to buy about $200 billion worth of our goods over the next couple of years. Uh, The U.S. said they're going to lower some of the tariffs that we have on China but leave some in play. The other thing was they no longer consider China a currency manipulator. Interesting how a little bit of back and forth changed that. And some intellectual property, um, the stealing of the intellectual property, and the opening up of Chinese, I don't know how they're going to do this one really, but opening up of Chinese to let U.S. investment come in, specifically in financial services, are all some of the high-level things we saw in Phase 1. Is there anything in Phase 1, Jeff, that took you by surprise, or this was pretty well scripted, right? Well, if if anything, it was a little bit of a surprise how broad it was. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of skeptics about, outside of agriculture, what was really going to be in right. In this deal, you know, it looks like the enforcement mechanism is a little bit more maybe comprehensive than people thought. So there, there's there's some meat to this, and that's I think one of the reasons why stocks have continued to move higher here this week. But I think the most important thing to focus on is you know the amount of exports you know out of the U.S. that, that China will will buy here. Well, and actually, and vice versa. But um, you know, in addition to ag, I mean, we're talking about manufacturing goods, right? And we're and we're talking about billions and billions of dollars, even on top of what they were buying already. You know, some people were were saying that we're not any better off than we were, you know, a couple of years ago because trade dipped, and now we're going to get back to, you know, where we were. That's not the case, really. And even if China falls short of these targets, um, we could still see meaningful gains in exports from the U.S. to China beyond what we were experiencing uh, before um, the, the dispute even started. Yeah, you know, building on that, you know, manufacturing, according to the data, said China's going to buy about $80 billion worth of manufacturing 
uh, goods per year, about 16 billion agricultural, which comes out to 32 billion over the two years. That was kind of the headline. But those are two things that clearly um, I think are positives, um, you know, and also the fact that I think what surprised me, Jeff, the most was the fact that U.S. is keeping tariffs on $370 billion worth of goods. I thought they might cut some of there, but they're still keeping those tariffs there. But they did lower tariffs on $120 billion from 15% to 7.5%. Um, so some give and take. But as you said, it's a thorough, I, I'll be honest, I didn't read the whole thing. What is it, a couple hundred pages, right? It's probably some pretty dense uh, pretty dense reading. But they did have two years to work on it. So I guess from that point of view, we should have a pretty thorough one. Now, Jeff, it took two years to do phase one. How long is it going to take to do phase two? Not to put you on, just put you on the spot here. Well, it's, it's unlikely that that comes before the election. Exactly. President Trump said as much. Right. Right. So the, the big question for me is, Will tensions escalate again before the election? Right. President Trump certainly doesn't want to damage the economy, which could hurt his re-election prospects. So my guess is we have sort of a truce or ceasefire, whatever you want to call it, that lasts through the election. Uh, but uh, you'll probably hear some tough talk on China out of the White House uh, between uh, now and then. I, I think right. um, there are a lot of good things that they can do in, in, in phase two, right? Some of the toughest issues, you know, China, for example, subsidizing their state-owned enterprises, you know, that, that doesn't help a, create a level playing field globally. Um, that's one example. There are a number of things that they can do that would be good in phase two. I think it's just going to be very, very difficult to make any progress on that in the next year. We'll see if, if President Trump's reelected. That'll be a focus in uh, 2021 for sure. Yeah. Now, moving forward, so that's kind of the first domino. Phase one was done, and we talked a lot about business investment, how the last two quarters it's actually detracted from GDP. You've got to go back years to the last time we saw that. The consumer is still strong, which we'll get to. But a key to extending this 10-and-a-half-year business cycle is business investment. And with uncertainty over trade, that has just dropped off the map the last couple of quarters. Now we've got some more certainty, Jeff. And all of a sudden, we are starting to see some cracks at the end, um, or light at the end of the tunnel, I guess what I want to say, where things are getting better. For example, the OECD, and that is actually the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Honestly, I had to look that up. I, don't, I just call it the OECD. But some of their data just came out that showed globally we are starting to see uh, some things starting to tick higher. For instance, U.S. and U.K. were recently upgraded. The global um, OECD composite has been higher three months in a row after dropping you know, virtually nonstop for over a year. I mean, are these signs you think that people are – they knew the trade deal was coming and now some optimism's come in? I actually think it's, it's more than just the trade deal, uh, frankly, but that, that's certainly a, a part of it. Uh, and you know, maybe the best news is we haven't really seen anything – positive out of Europe. I mean, the, the Brexit uh, situation has, has cleared up, I think, quite a bit. So that's a positive, but, you know, that's primarily uh, the UK. Europe and Japan haven't really enacted any structural reforms. There's not really anything to get excited about in terms of those economies. Yet, the market is pricing in better global growth. And clearly, in some of this leading data, you just cited some, the purchasing managers' indexes uh, globally have also right. painted the same picture, right? Global economic growth is picking up a bit, it, it appears. I mean, we've been saying it's been stabilizing for a couple of months now, but now I think it's even picking up a bit. The Chinese data overnight adds more evidence to that story. So I think um, the stock market, both 
in the U.S. and globally is, is saying things are getting better. Yeah, no, absolutely. Building on that, you know, retail sales here in the U.S. came out, and year over year, um, the numbers are up nearly 6%. But you think about what happened in December 2018. It makes sense. We were in the midst of a very vicious bear market. I said, if you were looking to buy something expensive uh, right ahead of the Christmas Eve lows in 2018, if you were looking to make a pretty big purchase, say on December 22nd, 23rd, 24th, with the stock market getting killed, maybe you didn't do that, honestly, you know, back then. Um, that was a really scary time with a 20% drop very quickly. Talk of recession, talk of, you know, inverted yield curves and talk of the government was shut down so all these different things were swirling around but now you know a year later the consumer continues to be strong jeff i've seen some recent numbers the u.s consumer now makes up like 73 or 74 percent of gdp he used to be more like two-thirds and honestly we probably want to diversify that a little bit i guess for lingo we use in this world and we that's where we need that business investment to come in but the consumer still looks really strong and retail the retail sales numbers that came out this week or i should say last week do little to change that so jeff we've got five minutes left now it's that time where we're on the spot again we're recording this on friday who you got in the football games i'm assuming you've got your chiefs right chiefs titans who you taking oh gotta take the chiefs hopefully chiefs fans out there listening to this are are, are happy mm-hmm. i'm a lifelong chiefs fan mm-hmm. um and i think uh i mean even though the titans are incredible at running the ball with derrick henry yep. uh, i think uh, they're gonna have a hard time stopping Mahomes, and with the chiefs at home I think their defense will do better than it did when it lost to the Titans last time. I think it was week 10. Okay. So I'll take that side. And then, um, although admittedly biased. Yeah. And then, boy, San Francisco's defense just looked so good uh, last week. I think you got to go with the dominant defense at home. So mm-hmm. I'll take I'll take San Francisco. Yeah, I, I side with you. How do you I'm, see it? I'm going to take the two home teams as well. And honestly – Given I'm an Ohio State fan, rumors are we're going to hire Kerry Combs. He's the um, one of the defensive guys for uh, coaches for Tennessee. He was an ex-Ohio State guy, and then he went to, with Rabel, who was an Ohio State guy also. All-time sack leader, by the way, Mike Rabel, the coach for Tennessee. But anyway, if Tennessee loses, we can actually announce the hiring of Kerry Combs and he can get on the recruiting, recruiting um, road. So I kind of want Tennessee to lose just so we can get Kerry Combs in. Uh, Science seal delivered. So there we go. All right, Jeff. So we've got a couple more minutes. We're going to talk about election years, and I'll kind of maybe focus. I'll do most of the talking here because I've done some data on this. One of the popular questions we've received is what happens during an election year? Well, if you look at the four year cycle, first year, second year, third year, fourth year of a presidential cycle, the pre election year, year three, is the strongest one. Okay. And that is exactly what happened last year. If you look at year four, it's up about 7% on average, approximately since 1950. Uh, solid returns. But, Jeff, here's where it's interesting. And I've never really heard someone break it down like this. I was surprised. But I looked at if a president was up for re-election or if it was a lame duck president. Jeff, you got to go back to 1940, the last time the S&P was down when a president was up for re-election and the stock market the stock market was down when a president was up for re-election. 1940, FDR. I mean, we all know 2000, 2008, terrible times for the economy. Well, in 2000, we weren't quite in a recession yet, but that was the end of the tech bubble in front of a a multi-year recession. 2008, obviously, was devastating and a recession. But those were lame duck presidents. So it's never that simple, but it makes sense. When someone's up for re-election, they're going to do what they have to do to get the economy going and the stock market going during an election year. And I'll end it with this. Just because stocks are up doesn't mean you're going to win an election. In 1980, stocks were up at 26%. Jimmy Carter did lose his re-election bid to Ronald Reagan, so it's never, it's not as simple for the president, but it makes sense they're going to do things to get the economy going. I mean, 
anything to add there? I just think it, it's a good story, and I think it makes sense, right? Yeah, I think with all of um, you know these comparisons of you know, market to election cycles and all that, I mean, one one takeaway seems to always be um, fade the uncertainty and stick with stocks, right? Even though uh, people are going to be nervous this summer, presumably, about the upcoming election, stocks tend to rally right into the election and uh, and then beyond, regardless of the outcome. Um, certainly, we, we know a lot of people thought stocks would sell off after Trump won, and that was not the case. So, um, you know, it goes, uh, it's, it's on, on both sides of the aisle, it pretty much works the same way. So, um, don't sell on election fears. Probably, stocks probably go higher this year, and certainly, um, you know, regardless of the uh, election outcome, we, we would expect that to be the case. Yeah, no, good stuff there. So, Jeff, I think we've hit the end of the road, unfortunately. Um, Jeff, I want to thank you for being here. I'll let you sign off in just one second, but I want to thank everyone who continues to listen to this podcast. Please be sure and give us a positive review if you enjoy it, and just you know, click that follow button and subscribe button on your podcast uh, listening devices, and we really appreciate it. Jeff, take it away, and then I'll sign us off. All right, we're sticking with our market weight equities recommendation despite uh, the S&P 500 broaching our year-end fair value target. Staying with stocks here. Thanks, Ryan. There we go. And you're also staying with your Kansas City Chiefs. You cannot jump off that train. Where's the Super Bowl this year, Jeff? Do you know by chance? I don't know. It's in Miami. Okay, see, that Uh, proves you have a team that's actually remotely in it, because I have no idea, as my Bengals are nowhere close to the Super Bowl. I I have to admit, yes, I did did take a peek at that. Have you toyed with the idea of going? just in case. Yeah, yeah if anybody okay. has a ticket for me, let me know. Yeah, exactly. I'll <laughs> but take at a this point, no, no plans to go. We'll yeah, we probably got to tell Fenro or something if it's free, but we won't. We, we, no one's listening to this, right? It's okay. That's right. Um, I would certainly yeah, pay. Well, exactly. Uh, exactly. We'll, no, no uh, yeah. and please, no sponsors. Uh, <laughs> definitely not. Absolutely. That'd be terrible. Yes, yes, yes. All right, so everybody, thank you for being here. We'll be back um, next week with the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Enjoy your week, everyone. Bye-bye. The opinion voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.